Amen. Thank you. It's good to be with you this morning. My wife Leslie and I are here today, and uh, sorry it's in such uh, sad circumstances, but we pray God's peace and grace and comfort on you. Let me read to you from some words of Scripture, um, Acts chapter two. I'm not preaching from a specific passage, but uh, I would like to address really um, some of the needs of the church as we go forward um, into our mission. And I think perhaps it has some resonance as well to some events happening with yourselves. Acts chapter 2, a very famous passage, of course. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then, of course, Peter stands and preaches, and uh, some 3,000 people come to faith. And uh, there's a big baptism service, which must have lasted some time, um, uh, particularly if there was a testimony and a song after each one of them. But, uh, um, but then you get these wonderful snippets in, in Acts, which are descriptors of the church. And uh, in some senses, perhaps we have, have yet to actually reach to these heights. Um, uh, towards the end of chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's just one snippet of, of several that I could have read from in Acts. Um, I wanted to talk today about the, the future of the church. And um, uh, this is part of my future um, because this is, is my granddaughter. And uh, I know you're, you're very surprised because I look so young. Um, but you'll also be even more surprised to know she's my first granddaughter. Um, we have five grandchildren and uh, um, two more on the way, which is getting out of hand, to be honest. I keep forgetting their names. Um, and uh, Christmases and birthdays are something else. But, um, but this is Pearl. It was a shock to, to find out that I was going to be a grandfather. Um, I think the nine months pregnancy is designed so that grandfathers can get their head around the fact they're going to be a grandfather. And, uh, and to be honest, I, I was slightly put out. For most, most of your life, you're in charge of your children's life, aren't you? Um, and then suddenly they are in charge of your life. Um, they get to designate you a different person. And, uh, so anyway, I, I was, I was struggling, to be honest. And, uh, but then I held her. And, and that was it. I was gone. So um, she stole my heart. And uh, she stole my heart yesterday as I saw her. She's uh, six years of age now. And um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. In thinking about the future of the church, and um, I suppose having reflected on a number of years in ministry, I began to ask myself the question, well, what, what should I now speak about? What should I now um, believe as to be some of the fundamentals for the future of the church? Uh, and I began, I suppose, obviously, to think about the kind of church I would like to be part of and uh, the kind of church pastor would feed me and feed friends of mine and so on. And then I began to think, well, actually, that's probably not the question, is it? Um, I thank God for the teachers and I thank God for the 
the theology in my head, some of which stuck. Um, I thank God for the people who've grown me in faith. Um, But actually, I don't think really the question about the future of the church is about me. I I think it's about our children, Um, people like Lizzie and and the young people that Voice is reaching out to. Um, The future of the church actually is about the future generations to come. Uh, I have more than enough knowledge, to be honest. I don't put in 80% of the teaching um, that I've received into my life. Um, I don't lack knowledge. Um, uh, What I lack, of course, is obedience and uh, faith and uh, and the things about putting life into faith into life. Um, As we think about the future, I think we need to ask questions seriously about the kind of churches we are growing and creating. Um, In terms of Pearl, it's a question I'm asking myself. What sort of church will she be growing up in? Um, Perhaps when she goes to university, she lives in Middlesbrough at the moment. Perhaps she'll come to Manchester and live in a nice area called Lim. What uh, what sort of church will she find here when she walks in? That's the question I have. Um, What is the investment for future generations? And what will the 2030s actually look like? As we uh, plan ahead and as we think about future, you guys are yourselves thinking about your future as a church and leadership and discussions. Um, Sometimes I'm never quite sure as I travel, we travel around the country, um, whether I'm very depressed or whether I'm elated, actually. It can go a variety of ways in the course of one day. Um, uh, Sometimes I can go to places and I think there is just no life here whatsoever. Um, I look at the statistics of church decline and uh, the cultural gap between church life and normal everyday life, the secular mentality, the, um, uh, the context of living in other faiths and so on, and it kind of feels as though I'm not quite sure what's going to happen to us. And then I'll go to places like this and be dead encouraged by the life and the, the young people in the churches. Uh, be encouraged as you go to cathedrals. Um, there is a lot of new life happening. Um, what will be the future? Um, cathedral attendance is on the increase, apparently. Um, the Church of England last year grew for the first time probably in 100 years in London. Um, a lot due to uh, migration, but uh, at least it grew. And there's so much happening, isn't there? Whether it's uh, the Alpha courses, um, there's some fantastic churches all around like yourselves, uh, uh, we spend a lot of time with uh, our black African friends in Manchester. They reckon there are about 200 African churches now in Manchester. I was with a group of uh, migrant churches only this last week in Manchester. And uh, we had Singalese churches, Ethiopian churches, Eritrean churches, Mongolian churches, Chinese churches. And I could keep going on and on and on. Um, uh, the prayer that is coming up, the unity that is working across. The churches are engaging now much more in Uh, with their civic societies, street passes and food banks and so on. So for every bad thing I think I get depressed, there's usually two or three good things. So I'm usually encouraged and I'm fairly positive as a person. But the vision is, of course, what is it going to be like by 2030s, 30, 2035, 2040? What is going to happen? And what sort of churches are we investing in for the future? Um, We had to renovate a house uh, about four years ago. And uh, this isn't the actual house, but it looked pretty much like this. Um, it was a massive, a major renovation of a house. And I, I, one of the best bits about renovating a house is knocking things down. Um, I quite enjoyed that, actually. And uh, uh, there was much that had to come out. Every ceiling had to come down, every architrave and skirting board had to come up, and uh, walls had to be knocked down. And I was looking at this wall thinking to myself, uh, 
um, I, I would really like to knock this wall down. And, um, but God, uh, God has blessed me in many ways. The, the, probably the greatest blessing he's ever given to me is a son-in-law who's a builder. Um, and and I, I encourage you, if, if, if you have any say in the matter, to, to, <laughs> to invite builders, single builders, around your house to meet your daughters. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> he's been such a blessing. And... Uh, um, and and he would he would come and teach me how to renovate. I I, I was I was inept. Um, I used to borrow my wife's tools. Um, I was so bad. And uh, and he would come around every day and show me what to do. And then he'd come around at the end of the day and show me what I needed to do again and redo again um, and so on. And and I thought to myself, before I knock this down, I should give Scott a ring, just in case. And uh, I said, Scott, you know, I'm thinking of knocking that wall. And he goes, he said, Roger, whatever you do. <laughs> Do not knock that wall down. Um, I think there is some case for some major renovation in the Church of God. But brothers and sisters, there are some walls we're going to keep as well. Um, because they're, they are load-bearing. Um, the roof comes down. The roof on the Church of God comes down if you take out the Bible. The roof on the, God of, on the Church of God comes down if you take out prayer and, and so on. There are some key things that need to remain, but... To be honest, I have a feeling that for Pearl and uh, for many of our young people, I think what we will have to look like will be very different to what we look like now. That's my feeling. Um, uh, it's a vision not just for the church of God, of course, but also a vision for the society in which we live. Uh, God did not so love the church that he came. He so loved the world that he came. He created the church to love the world. And it is in that regard that we are called, of course, into mission. I think the Church of God is, is of the future, um, firstly, a loving place, um, a loving place for God and a loving place for each other and a place, I think, that just makes disciples. I think these three core things, these are key walls which we must retain and build upon and develop. Um, I don't know quite which um, church Pearl will go to in the future, whether she um, follows the obedience of God and joins a Baptist church or... Uh, where, uh, to be honest, I really don't care. I, I have, uh, we have both, and I'm sure you have, experienced God in many different contexts. Um, I've experienced God in the, the vastness of a cathedral. I've experienced God in the um, a tin hut in Uganda with 120 women and children because all the men had died from AIDS. And I've, uh, I don't think I've ever quite got over that service, actually in terms of the experience of God. I've experienced God in some uh, lovely Baptist churches in this country. Um, I can go to uh, friends of ours now are actually visiting a, a church in Salford which reached drug addicts and alcoholics. Um, and uh, it's about 80 or so people have come off the streets, converted, 120 black African women looking for husbands. Um, it's a fantastic church to go to. And uh, um, we've sent him to the service. He, he won't get home to about 3 o'clock. Um, uh, it's very loud, <laughs> um, but it is very real. Uh, when your pastor's been a, an ex-armed robber and your pastor's wife has been a crack cocaine dealer, um, they know about life. Um, and uh, But there's a spirituality there. There's just something of God. It's not my style of service, um, but that's not really the issue, is it? Um, the issue is whether there's the presence of God there, whether God is so present. Uh, a church that is... 
um, in love with God, a church that is dependent on prayer, because without prayer nothing can happen. A church that has to reach, go to its knees every moment of the day. Um, churches will not be grown upon management. Um, thank God for management. I thank God for all the uh, altering, and we had 25 management consultants every square inch. Um, <laughs> and they all had different advice for me. <laughs> thank God for you know. Thank God for all the things we learn. Um, but brothers and sisters, the Church of God will not be built on that. At the end of the day, it will be built on the power of Jesus Christ in our midst. Uh, thank God for the gifts um, that He gives us, and we're to use those gifts to the best of our ability. Um, but some of the churches I am most inspired by are those churches that simply seek God, uh, seek God to pray and pray. Um, my friends, our friends, uh, Pastor Komoloffi and his wife, um, they arrived in Manchester some eight, nine, ten years ago now, and they didn't know a single person, single person. Um, so he just walks the streets of Manchester and prays. Um, uh, the church is now something in the region of 1,400. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't ask him when... I, I, I don't ask him if he's fasting. I ask if he's eating. <laughs> because every time I asked whether he was fasting, he would always say yes. Uh, we tried to get them around for a meal once, and it was really hard because they were fasting. Um, uh, the whole church fasts throughout the whole of October, the whole of uh, January, and the whole of June. Um, that's just level one fasting. Um, then they have special event fasting. Um, and they have a lot of special events. It's the, it's the thinnest church I've ever seen in my life. Um, uh, they do it because they just seek God. They believe in God. And they're serious about it. Um, the spiritual disciplines. Uh, a tangible presence of God in service. I pray she walks into a, a place where there's just a sense of God around it. Um, I pray she walks into a place that, that is, has an awareness of God in, in the homes and the parks and the, the context of the area in which she walks and lives in. Um, I pray she is led uh, by church leaders who themselves see themselves primarily as spiritual leaders. Um, there is always a, a strong call uh, upon church leadership in this country to, to be a chief exec of a small or medium-sized charity. Um, I was never called to be that. I was called to be a spiritual leader. I need to remind myself of that. Um, whoever you look for in the future, just make sure that... Uh, when they say they are praying for you and they can't quite attend that meeting that you really want them there for, um, value that more than anything else. Um, a spirituality. It's a move, I think, actually from control where I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul. Um, this belief somehow that at the end of the day I can do this. I think it's a move towards reliance, isn't it? Well, without God I can do nothing. I can do nothing. Uh, we are sinners, saved by grace. That's what we are. You may be a highly educated sinner, saved by grace, but it doesn't matter. That's what you are, and that's what I am. And we stand alongside the rest of this community in regard to that. And therefore, we look to a God to whom we place our faith and our trust, and he is the God who will look after us. From control to reliance, sir, uh, Moving, I think, towards the community, not only in love with God, but in love with each other and in love with the wider community and also, I think, in love with the other churches in a place. I, I don't believe there's one. Sorry, I believe there is only one church in Lynn. Um, 
There's only one church in Lynn. I believe that. I think Jesus looks upon that across Greater Manchester, upon uh, Macclesfield area, or wherever. I think that's what he does. Um, he prayed for unity amongst the churches, in the churches. We need to be the good news. We need to live the good news. And it was uh, typified today just by the sheer love in this place um, for a, a context which is deeply sad. Um, but I want her to walk into a place like this, full of love, interdependence, a community, a place at peace with one another, a place of forgiveness. Um, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Uh, it's a powerful thing to live like this, isn't it, in this world today, where people's lives are just so shot and falling apart. Um, a movement from independence, and culture's moving us towards independence. It wants you to be on your own. It's easier to sell to you if you're on your own. Towards interdependence, where we value each other as family. It's a powerful, powerful witness. And by, your, by their love for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. Um, I think we need to be growing habits of the heart, of vulnerability, um, whereby we don't just become middle-class communities where on the outside everything is put together, but inside everything's falling apart. Brothers and sisters, we need to be able to share. Um, I have some friends of ours in uh, Dublin, in, sorry, in Cork, actually, in Northern in Ireland, and uh, they, they're the most vulnerable church I've ever met in my life, actually. They, they just let it all hang out. Um, I mean, seriously. Um, uh, Tom was telling me they had to, they, they get married couples up to share and talk about their relationship and get the community in church to pray for them their relationship. I couldn't quite see this happening in our country, but uh, um, <laughs> and he was telling me one woman got up and, and just just went on and on about how awful her husband was. <laughs> husband standing next to her. <laughs> she went on and on. He was just dreadful. He was awful. He was you know da 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 da. So the pastor turned to him and says, do you want to say something? He said, oh, she's right. <laughs> and then they say, well, should we pray for them? The whole church get up and pray for them. Um, and what does that do? That mean, that just says, just says truth, honesty, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I bet if you've got a marriage problem in that, in that church, you come forward pretty quickly. And I bet you get it sorted out pretty quickly, actually. Um, Habits of loving confrontation, where we have to have the hard conversations with people, because that's what it's about, isn't it? Um, it's what bringing up children's about, it's what marriage is about, it's what friendship is about. People can see our blind spots, but I can't see them, because they're blind to me, but other people can see them. Um, habits of listening to emotions, um, we are emotional people. Uh, I have a friend of mine called Yuri from Slovenia. I once said to him, uh, Yuri, what's the difference between Slovenia and here? And he said, in, he said, in this country, he says, you say, I think. I think. He said, in Slovenia, he said, we say, I feel. Um, I feel. Uh, habits of peacemaking. Um, habits of choosing not to take offense. I really don't like this habit. I, I enjoy this habit of, of taking offense, don't you? And the Bible says, um, choose not to take offense. As if I have a choice. Well, yes, I do have a choice. That's the trouble. I can choose not to take offense. And when I choose not to take offense, it's amazing what can happen to relationships. In Uganda, they have a saying, if your house is on fire, do not pour petrol on it. 
that saying has, has, has kept with me for years, actually. Every time I want to send an email, you know? You know the emails you send, or want to send? I'm just going to give them a bit of my mind here. Choose not to take offense. Uh, be slow to take offense. Habits of honor and ru- against rumor and gossip. Um, we need to honor one another, don't we? Honor the work of, of the Church of God in this land. Honor. Don't speak against. Rumor is an is a utter killer. The, the monastic movement had very strong rules about gossiping and rumor because it kills communities. Um, habits of nurture and encouragement. Uh, making of disciples is crucial, isn't it? That's what we're here for. Do you know I pray to God that when she walks into a place, she would not just walk into a place that would see her as fodder for the machine of the church. I really do pray that. Our daughter and uh, son-in-law, the builder, she's a teacher. They're trying to find a church. Can you think of a better couple to join a church than a builder and a teacher? <laughs> but she's teaching in inner city Liverpool in a horrendous estate. Um, she needs support and discipleship. And he's, got, he's uh, trying to grow a business in this kind of environment. He needs support. Um, brothers and sisters, we're here to make disciples. And not just keep the cogs of the machine working. We're here to, to be growing people. To ask you, I, they used to ask me questions at, at the end of every year as senior pastor and, you know, usually around budget. How's the budget gone? Um, uh, usually around attendance. Um, usually around, uh, um, yeah, money and attendance. I think those were the two main things they used to ask me about, actually. Um, but nobody ever asked me, do you think as a church we have grown closer to Jesus Christ this year? Are we seeing some real movement in people? Um, do I feel as a pastor I've grown closer to Jesus Christ this year? Um, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. That was his call. It's quite easy. It's quite simple to do that. He didn't say go into the world and start a church. He didn't even say go into the world and start a religion. He just said go into the world and make disciples. People who will follow me. Um, and a lot of our... Well, sorry, you may do this much better than we did, but uh, in terms of our structures, I'm not quite sure what we developed. Um, it's moving from the institutional to the personal. It's about developing people in disciplines of silence and Bible study and celebration and fasting and hospitality and prayer and retreat and Sabbath and the rhythms of the year and giving and communion and so on. It's about developing people ourselves in this, isn't it? Because that's what we do. Um, uh, who's the interviewer who's just retired? Uh, Jeremy Paxman. You know the, the soft, cuddly Jeremy Paxman? <laughs> I saw him interview Maya Angelou, who's the civil rights uh, um, poet who's just recently died. Um, who's, and he, he was in awe of her. It's very interesting that Jeremy Paxman was in awe of anybody, but he was in awe of her. And he was interviewing her. And uh, he, he said to her, Maya Angelou, he said, I hear that you're a practicing Christian. And she leaned over and she put a hand on his knee, um, which doesn't often happen to Jeremy Paxman in an interview. And she said, Jeremy, you are so right. I am just practicing. There is a practice of the Christian faith, isn't there? Um, uh, the prayer, the quiet time, the time alone with God, the time to to keep the Sabbath and have rhythms of the year and communion and things. These are very important, actually. They're very important to us. They're some of the building blocks we build a faith upon. Um, I don't have a lot of time to 
to go into some of the other things as I think, but let, just a few things. Why, why, why does this happen? What's this about? To love God, to love others, to make disciples? Is that simply to build the church of God? No, because God so loved the world that he came and gave the church. We live this kind of life. We are to be the people who love God with all our heart, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to make disciples because for the sake of the world, the church joins the mission of God in the renewal of the earth. That's why we're here, isn't it? To see the renewal of God's world. Um, Some of the key future perspectives for Pearl's Church. Um, Firstly, to live in and among people, to be incarnational about what we're doing, to not be so far apart from people. For so long there's been this church culture divide that sometimes when you bring people, it's, you know, it's sometimes non-Christians would say to me, oh, I'd love to come to your church. And I'm thinking, I'm really not sure you would. Because I don't think, A, it's not designed for you anyway. It's actually designed for Christians. Um, uh, and we used to come up with a whole variety of ways to try and bridge that gap for people. Um, yes, there is a sense, I think, where the Church of God needs to be attractional, but there is more a sense of the Church of God, certainly within Acts of the Apostles. It needs to be out there. <laughs> we need to be the Church of God on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and so on. We need to be the Church of God who is living in and among people. And Jesus came eating with tax collectors and sinners. Um, he didn't try and come and defend holiness, you see. It's very interesting, isn't it? Jesus didn't try and defend holiness. And some churches get into the, sort of the, the attitude that somehow we have to defend holiness. So we'll keep together. We'll, 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 we'll be as, as, uh, as pure as we possibly can. Um, Jesus didn't come to defend holiness. He came to unleash holiness. When the, when the, when the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years touched him, um, who, who became unholy? Because really, he should have become unholy because she touched him, you see. But she became holy because the power of God flew, uh, flowed through him. Brothers and sisters, we go out into this world, we go out with confidence. We go out with, with, with confidence in who God is, that we can be the men and women that God has called us to be, to, to be his lights upon the hill, to serve him wherever he has called you to be whether it's in a school environment, a business environment, education, whether it's in health service, whether it's just in your neighborhood, to be the kind of people you can be, to be incarnational with your faith, to be praying for opportunities, to be seeking God, to be praying for your communities. We have a tremendous authority to pray for our communities, um, to ask God to do things. He loves Lim. He really does it. He loves it. And he's got purposes for it, purposes for it. Not just for your life, not just for the church, but for the whole of the area. That's the God that we believe in. For God so loved the world as we seek to reach out. We stand in the midst of culture, serving, loving, witnessing, partnering, affecting, and learning. That's what we're called to do. My wife did this recently. She prayed that we would be more connected with our neighbors. We've recently moved house, renovated the house, and we know the neighbors in the, in the area just around us and she just said I just need to feel more connected I didn't know this prayer I wish she'd asked me because I would have knowing the consequences of this prayer I would have asked her not to pray that but <laughs> I didn't know she prayed this anyway I'm looking out there's a patch of grass that the council on a council estate and they meant to cut and, and I moan about it every year because it's badly cut and I moaned about it I looked and I thought I was really and I suddenly thought go and cut the grass and stop moaning 
So I'm out there with my little mower. It's a huge piece of grass. A third of the way through thinking to myself, I really should not have started this. But it's very hard to just stop now. And then Dave comes along. Never met Dave before in my life. And he says, oh, I like it when people take a bit of respect in the area. I said, oh, do you? He said, I'll give you a hand. So Dave gives me a hand. Fantastic. You get it done. It takes about an hour and a half or whatever. Leslie invites him round. Um, Dave's kind of one of the lads of the area. Um, he says, oh, lovely. Can I bring my ex-wife? I said, yeah. <laughs> you can bring your ex-wife if you like. Um, Dave's had several ex-wives. Um, can I bring my daughter? Uh, I said, yeah, you bring your daughter. He's fathered quite a lot of the children on the estate. But anyway... Um, <laughs> So anyway, suddenly in my garden I've got the ex-wife, the daughter, two of their dogs, and Dave. And suddenly we're meeting more people, and I didn't know she's prayed this prayer, um, which is good. I mean, it's a good thing to do. And then it suddenly goes downhill because the daughter says, I've got an allotment. Alarm bells begin to ring because my wife's wanted an allotment for years, all right? And I think, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get out of this? So I say the words. I hear it's very difficult to get an allotment. And she says, uh, she said, actually it is, you've got to go on this website and you've got to fill in the forms and then it takes ages and you have to wait and so on and so forth. And I'm thinking, great. Um, she said, why don't you come down? So we go down to the allotment and uh, we meet Lee who's in charge of the allotments and, uh, and she says, oh, they're looking for an allotment. I said, it's really hard to get an allotment, isn't it, Lee? <laughs> and he goes, oh, it is actually, you've got to fill in forms, you've got to wait. He says, he said, but I can't be bothered, you can have that one. So she says, yes. I'm thinking, how did we get from here? And it's full of people in the area. It's full of people in the area. Loads of them. Met more people over the summer than we've met for the previous three years. Now she should never have prayed that prayer. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, how am I going to reach that area? Well, actually, one of the ways I'm actually going to reach that area is A, to meet people. B in that area, to get an allotment. It seems fairly key. Allotments for Jesus. It's a whole ministry we're starting up. Um, But brothers and sisters, we will not reach people by staying here at the end of the day. Folks, we've got to live it. And I know that's what you're doing. And uh, um, It's from isolation to incarnation, the the divide that... uh, um, uh, We need to have more confidence in sharing the gospel. Um, This this is how most Christians actually look when they're asked... uh, um, you're a Christian. Um, what do you believe? Um, <laughs> I had an opportunity to share the gospel. I do a lot of work in my borough in Trafford and, uh, um, recently, and I blew it. Do you know when you blow it? You know when it catches you off guard? You know the whole thing, be prepared in season and out? I was not prepared. Completely threw me, this guy, and, and Nick knows him. And, uh, and I thought, oh, pig. And I walk away thinking, all the things you should have said, Yes? Do you do that? And I said to the Lord, Lord, would you give me another opportunity? Please. I felt, I felt actually a bit ashamed, actually. Um, three weeks later, I'm speaking at an event, uh, a major traffic event, and a senior director um, comes up to me and says, uh, he said, oh, that was, that was inspirational, that was. I said, oh, thank you very much. He said, oh. He says, I always ask somebody, whenever I think they're an inspirational speaker, I always ask them, where do they get their inspiration from? And then he said, but actually, no, let me ask, is there one person in history where you've got your most inspiration from? 
Thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, I shared with him. Um, <laughs> we need to have more confidence in sharing the gospel, and we need to pray for it, opportunities. That we do it naturally, that it, you know, it's not some forced thing. You don't have to give Genesis to Revelation in 30 seconds, all right? But you just ask God, Lord, what are you saying to this person? Ask them questions about their faith. Ask them questions about their spirituality. We need more confidence in that. Um, it's a whole area. Um, we need to have a love for the poor, and it was lovely to hear of the, the ministry happening in Nepal and your support of it. Uh, um, if, if we are to affect this world, brothers and sisters, we must stand with the most poorest because that's who Jesus stood with at the end of the day. He loved everybody, and he did love the rich man, but he got most response from the poor. Um, they have less to give up. And uh, we need to be churches that, and people and families, um, and I don't know if you're connected, you know, internationally, we had a, a strong connection with Uganda, we send loads of people over there, but you've had a call to go to Nepal, it's a beautiful place, by the way, it's stunning, and I took our boys served there for a year in, uh, um, in Patan, is it P- Patan? Yeah, that's right, and uh, um, to love the poor is crucial. Um, to love God's creation as well. I, I was really encouraged you got a litter picking. That's brilliant. Fantastic. And you're, you're engaging with the community in that? Yeah. Good. Brothers and sisters, we need to show the gospel actually by this creation, which God has made, by the way. It's his creation. Yes. It's his creation. Our boy's a stone sculptor, and he, uh, he, um, he made for Leslie, our wife, my wife, our wife, my wife, um, I, I commissioned him to make a... a, a a marble sculpture, and uh, uh, which is lovely. He charged me quite a lot, but anyway. Um, <laughs> thought family rates, but no. Um, and he unveiled it, and it was lovely. And, uh, and then we had it in the garden for a year, and then he comes back to visit. He's been back before that. But he goes out into the garden specifically. He comes back in, and he goes, um, have, you, have you not cleaned it, Dad? I think he, no. Well, I didn't know you had to clean it. I mean... He goes, goes into his car boot where he has his marble cleaning kit on him, obviously, and then, then spends about 30 minutes cleaning this um, sculpture. Um, uh, God has made this world, brothers and sisters, and um, he's made it very beautiful, and we have not kept it clean. Um, it's a good thing to litter pick, actually. Not just for the witness to a community, but it's a good thing because of the places in which we live. This is God's world. Um, the Bible's very strong on this. Um, I don't have time to, to go into all that. Um, uh, we need to take our place in the civics life. I think this is increasingly a call upon God to the church of God. And all over this country, actually, um, churches are working together. It's the work that I'm uh, involved in uh, to connect together as one church, to uh, witness um, to the communities, and to take our place in civic life. Um, I think it's time we just got out of our own, uh, out of our own ghettos and started taking our place. Um, um, it's incarnational, it's evangelistic, it's loving the poor, it's environmental, it's civic gospel. Let me just finish on two points. We need to take risks. And I really encourage you, as you plan ahead now, that you uh, think about not just the certainties, but also the risks you're going to take. Um, this is a faith that was founded upon the apostles, who took risks with, the very, with their very lives. And if God didn't show up, they were in serious trouble. Um, we cannot live middle-class faith and reach this country 
you're going to have to live a faith that is really risky and causes you to step out and think, my goodness, if God doesn't show up, we are really, really in trouble. Um, That's the kind of faith. I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm talking about steps where we have sought God and thought, I think we think he's in this. (laughs) We really think he's in this. And God, if if you're not in this, shout, because we're moving ahead. Um, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I think we need to have more creativity in the life of the church, actually. I think we've got a little boring. I love your banners, by the way. I think it's great. Um, I think you look after your church well, but uh, as well. We need more creativity. I think we're living in a very visual age, aren't we? Uh, my wife is, is doing a lot of work in this across Manchester at the moment. Um, we need to move from the predictable to the surprising. Um, we are too predictable in our church life. Um, and then lastly, could we just have a bit more joy? Um, and you guys are great. You laugh at my jokes, which is good. Um, that we may be the place where joy is found. Where we can weep when it's time to weep. But we need to laugh when it's time to laugh. Um, if we could be communities which love God and love one another, make disciples. If we could be communities more that are looking towards the extension of God's grace in places, in civic structures, loving and caring for the environment, be incarnational in what we're doing. If we could be places that take risks and more creative with what we do, and at the heart of us have some joy, um, I'd be very glad if uh, if Pearl came to this church in 2035. Um, let's pray together. Father, at the end of this service, we bring all our thoughts and our feelings, our hopes and our sadnesses, our joys, our desires, our questions. And you are the loving God who opens up your arms to us. And you say, come to me. Come to me. You envelop us with your arms of love and grace. Now pray your blessing upon my dear friends here, upon those who mourn today, upon those with confusion, upon those with faith and joy, upon us all. May your blessing rest. You may, just as you're seated, want to hold out your hands with your your palms faced upwards on your lap, and it's just a sign. We prayed, we read from scripture of Pentecost and the gift of the Spirit. And I pray now for the gift of the Holy Spirit upon you and your family, upon you and your home and your work, upon you and all your relationships. I pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray for the wisdom and the insight. I pray for the encouragement and the blessing and the love of God. May you know this morning that God loves you and he loves this world. We are within the arms of an almighty God who loves us and has great purposes for us. So may God bless this church. May God bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen.